This is a production of Dermcast TV, brought to you by the Society of Dermatology PAs during our summer meeting in San Diego, California, June 2017. Thank you. Hello, everybody. How are you guys doing today? Thanks so much for sitting here during your lunch hour and letting me be kind of the background noise to checking emails on your phone and all of that kind of stuff that we do over our lunch hours. I think Dr. Goldberg gets the award for best voice. Um, he should do like books on tape. Oh my gosh, I could listen to his voice forever. Um, well, as Matt said, I'm Lisa Swanson. I'm a dermatologist and pediatric dermatologist in Colorado. I'm here on behalf of Valiant today to talk to you a little bit about Eladil. And I'm so excited to be here in San Diego. Every time I come to San Diego, all I can think about is Anchorman. I don't know if any of you guys are like that as well. I mean, they should have a channel that plays nothing but Anchorman here in San Diego, just on repeat. Um, so without further ado, we'll dive into Eladil. I expect all of you at the conclusion of this um, presentation to be able to do this move that this lady is doing. When I first saw this presentation, I was like, what does that have to do with Eladil? It's a pretty picture, but geez louise. All right, so we'll dive right in. The official indication for Eladil is that it's indicated as second-line treatment for the short-term and non-continuous treatment of mild to moderate atopic dermatitis in non-immunocompromised kids and adults age two and older. It is indicated officially for people who have failed to respond adequately to other prescription topical treatments or when those treatments are not advisable. And of course, I think it's quite fitting that the second slide of the talk is about the black box warning, because I think, how can you think of Eladil and not think of the black box warning? Um, I have to read the black box warning to you guys, and then I'll tell you kind of my two cents about it and how I explain it to families. So the long-term safety of topical calcineurin inhibitors has not been established. Although a causal relationship has not been established, rare cases of malignancy, like skin cancers and lymphoma, have been reported in patients treated with topical calcineurin inhibitors, including Eladil cream. Therefore, continuous long-term use of topical calcineurin inhibitors, including Eladil, in any age group should be avoided, and the application should be limited to areas of involvement with the atopic dermatitis. Eladil cream is not indicated for use in kids less than two years of age. So my two cents on this. First of all, if you are prescribing Eladil or another calcineurin inhibitor, I would face the black box warning right up front with the family in the office. If you don't, you will get a phone call later from a very upset and tearful mom accusing you of giving her child cancer. Um, and so it's better to just meet it, talk about it. That way they hear it from you and not from the labeling in the box. So my spiel about the black box warning, do you guys all have your um, kind of um, spiels on things, you know, and you just like go into it, it's like you're on autopilot, you could do it in your sleep, it's like you press play, you're a robot, okay, Eladil black box play now. Um, that's kind of how I've gotten about this. I explained to the families that Eladil came out about 15 years ago, probably longer ago now, because I feel like I've been saying 15 years for a while, and when it came out, it is similar to an oral medication that transplant patients take to suppress their immune systems. And so the FDA was initially concerned that it might have the same side effects in a cream version, and they put a black box warning on it. Since then, we've done numerous studies which show that those risks are not really a, a consideration or a worry in people treated with these topical creams, but the black box warning still stands. 
I put a positive light on it. I say, you know, because of the black box warning, Elidil is one of the most extensively studied topical medications we use in dermatology. It's really been put through the ringer of sorts, um, and everything points to it being an incredibly safe medication. So that's how I handle the black box warning. I do it every time. So the imp other important safety information, so Elidil is contraindicated in people who have a history of hypersensitivity to any of the ingredients. It should not be used in people who are immunocompromised, uh, including those on systemic immunopressive uh, medications. The patient should be reevaluated by their healthcare provider if things don't improve within six weeks. And I know in my practice, I always see eczema patients back after two to three weeks and make sure they're improving. The use of Elidil cream should be avoided on any malignant or pre-malignant skin conditions, and it should not be used in patients with Netherton syndrome or with diseases that increase the potential for systemic absorption. And Netherton's is really the classic example of one of those conditions. Elidil cream can cause local symptoms such as burning or stinging um, or itching. Um, localized symptoms are most common initially, and then they tend to get better over time. And the interesting thing is, in general, in pediatric dermatology, things are more likely to sting and burn in kids compared to adults, but I actually feel like it's the opposite for Elidil. I think it actually is more likely to sting and burn in adults than children, um, but that's just my personal observation. Um, before treating with Elidil, you wanna check for bacterial or viral infections, and that's really important with any evaluation of a kiddo with eczema. You wanna see if they look like they're secondarily infected with staph, you want to check if, and see if there's any signs of a, a viral infection like eczema herpeticum, or the other one that's been kind of a hot topic these days is eczema coxsackium, where it's kind of a combination of hand, foot, and mouth and eczema. Um, and so you really want to be evaluating for those things before you're treating a patient, because if you don't address the bacterial infection, if you don't address the eczema herpeticum part of it, they're not going to get better simply with topical steroids or Elidil. Um, during the course of treatment, the patient should minimize or avoid natural or artificial sunlight exposure. And that warning comes from the similarities to, to cyclosporin, the oral calcinor calcineurin inhibitor. The most common adverse events seen in the studies include application site burning, and then other kind of vague complaints like headache, pharyngitis, cough, etc. To report suspected adverse reactions, there is this phone number, and I actually had to call this phone number once because a little three-year-old patient of mine had found her tube of Elidil, and in Colorado, it's so dry that these tubes, they kind of crack, you know, they bend and crack, and uh, the little kiddo had found that and had decided to drink a little bit of Elidil out of the tube, and so uh, I found this number very handy to call, and they were very helpful uh, in guiding me through that situation. So the first part of this talk talks a little bit in general about atopic dermatitis, which is something I see all day, every day. I live and breathe atopic dermatitis. So atopic dermatitis, of course, it's very prevalent. It's very common. It's especially common in industrialized countries. Um, and the incidence has been increasing over the past three decades. Um, it is estimated that in the U.S., 9% to 30% of the population will have atopic dermatitis at some point in time. That's like a third, a third of people. Um, this common skin disease affects um, men and women, boys and girls. It can occur at any age, and it frequently starts in infancy. About 85% of the time, the first symptoms do appear by age five. The lifetime prevalence is estimated to be 15 to 30% of kids and two to 10% of adults. So it's common, very, very common. Common features of atopic dermatitis, I think we're all familiar with these. 
It's a chronic and relapsing uh, inflammatory condition. Um, it causes intense itching. It has this characteristic rash and redness. Often there's a family history, at least of atopy, um, if not eczema. And it's often associated with other atopic disorders like allergies and asthma. Common skin areas where atopic dermatitis occurs, of course, the face, the neck, the crease of the elbow, the area behind the knees, the scalp, um, the armpit, the groin. The other areas that I would include on this list that I think are commonly misdiagnosed when it comes to atopic dermatitis are the area around the ear. Um, I see that treated by primary care providers as impetigo, yeast, all that kind of stuff. Um, and of course, it doesn't get better. And then the, the nipple. The nipple is a very common place for eczema to appear, and that's another place where I see it commonly misdiagnosed and mismanaged. So atopic dermatitis is highly visible and very troublesome. It's a very symptomatic condition. The point that this slide is making is that a lot of people dealing with atopic dermatitis deal with it on their face or their neck in areas where it's very hard or impossible to conceal uh, from people seeing it. In addition, they're very itchy. Some people call eczema the itch that rashes. They're incredibly itchy all of the time. And because of that, we're starting to see that kids who have poorly controlled eczema grow up to have things like ADHD, anxiety, depression. I mean, it's hard to focus on anything when you're itchy all the time. And kids with eczema actually have a higher chance of getting into accidents, probably due to their lack of focus. So this is an incredibly symptomatic and um, bothersome condition for the people who suffer from it. Atopic dermatitis, I always tell parents and patients that it's caused by two main things. This is another moment where I become a little bit of a robot. I say there are two causes of eczema. The first is that our skin is our barrier, and in children with eczema, their barrier doesn't work as well, and it makes them more vulnerable to things like dryness and irritation from things. And then I say the other part of it is that it's due to an overactive immune system process. It's almost like a flip is switched on and stuck there. And all of these inflammatory cells uh, get into the skin and cause the rash. And I find that when it's explained that way, then the parents kind of buy in a little bit more with the treatment that I'm going to propose. You know, I'm going to recommend sensitive skin care to maintain the barrier, maintain and protect the barrier. And I'm going to recommend topical medicines to calm down that overactive immune system process. And I find that when the parents understand why we're doing what we're doing, they do it more, <laughs> which is good. Um, so this slide kind of covers that with slightly different verbiage. So atopic dermatitis impairs the skin barrier function, which can increase the risk of infection and increase the risk for dryness and irritation, too. Both structural abnormalities and this immune dysregulation play a part. Um, this um, histopathology slide shows a thickening of the epidermis, a roughening of the top layer as a result of these structural abnormalities. We know that the barrier abnormalities are due to a few things, predominantly filaggrin and a problem with the lipid layer. Um, and so this slide addresses that as well. The skin of people with atopic dermatitis doesn't have as many antimicrobial pep uh, peptides. And so they are more vulnerable to infection of their eczema inherently, even above and beyond the barrier dysfunction. They're simply more vulnerable. Um, the inflammatory cytokines released from the T cells are thought to drive itching. Um, and I think, you know, some recent studies have kind of isolated perhaps an itch cytokine. I think they suspect IL-31, which is really kind of cool because it, it gives us so many more opportunities to really help people with their itching. So management goals of atopic dermatitis. I tell families at the very first visit, there is no cure for eczema. Two out of three kids do outgrow it, typically by age five. But until then, I don't have a magic potion that I can give you that will make it go away and stay away. 
and contrary to popular belief, it will not go away if you avoid gluten, um, and it will not go away if you try, you know, seven different formulas. In fact, dietary changes are universally recommended against um, by the Eczema Association. I just say that with treatment, we can minimize the number of flares a person has, we can minimize the severity of those flares, and we can increase the time between those flares. And so those are our management goals. Um, to do so, we need to restore their barrier function, we need to reduce or eliminate the inflammation, we need to reduce pruritus, and we need to reduce the incidence of the flares. So Eladil cream, now into the meat of the, pre of the presentation. So Eladil cream can help improve the skin barrier function, and actually, this is something I didn't know about Eladil until I was trained as a speaker and went through this slide deck. Um, it actually has an effect on the barrier function of the skin. And it normalizes and restores the regular stratum corneum, it maintains skin hydration, and it kind of regulates the lipid, lever, lipid layer formation, which is kind of cool. I knew it worked as an anti-inflammatory. I didn't know this until I reviewed these slides. Um, the bulk of how we think Eladil works is by suppressing that overactive immune system in the skin. The details are actually still a little uncertain but we know that it inhibits the calcineurin pathway and therefore reduces the number of inflammatory cytokines present in the skin. Um, it does have an immunosuppressant action, but it does not suppress collagen synthesis, which is why it doesn't cause the thin skinning, or the skin thinning, and, uh, and striae and things that you can see with topical steroids. So this was the pivotal trial data way back when for Eladil. It consisted of three randomized double-blind vehicle-controlled studies, all in kids aged three months to 17 years. And really, the bulk of it was two of these phase three studies that were in age uh, two to 17 years. And it supported the use of Eladil for atopic dermatitis twice a day for up to six weeks. Um, it consisted of 403 patients that had mild or moderate eczema at the time of the study. They had three endpoints. The primary endpoint was treatment success, defined as the percentage of patients that were clear or almost clear at six weeks. There were two secondary endpoints. One has to do with the easy index, or the easy score. So they basically wanted to see how the easy score improved with treatment with Eladil. And then they also looked at pruritus. They had patients grade their overall pruritus and then assess the improvement as, as the treatment went on. And again, even though one of these studies was conducted in kids three months of age, um, Eladil's official indication is two years and older. So the trial data showed significant improvement in these kids. At six weeks, 35% of Eladil patients had an IgA score of clear or almost clear, compared to 18% of the vehicle patients. The changes from baseline in the easy score, especially on the head and neck, followed a similar pattern with a significantly greater change from baseline compared with vehicle, and there will be a graph coming up in a slide or two to um, further show that. Patients treated with Eladil also demonstrated an almost 50% improvement in head and neck eczema within the first week. So that's really impressive because when a parent or a family comes into you because their child has eczema, they want it better right now. They don't want it better in six weeks. They want it better as soon as possible. And this data actually showed that it got significantly better in the first week. Of course, patients should be reevaluated if things aren't better after six weeks. I personally see my kiddos with eczema back about every three weeks. 
So this is the graph showing the efficacy results um, for head and neck atopic dermatitis as well as overall atopic dermatitis. So the dark blue line is the overall areas and they were 45% improved, 45% positive change in their easy score. And the light blue line shows a 59% uh, improvement in the easy score for head and neck atopic dermatitis. And this graph I like because it shows pretty dramatic differences between the placebo and the elidil. So pruritus, of course pruritus, you have to look at pruritus. This bar demonstrates the blue bar is elidil, and this is the proportion of subjects that had mild or no itching. And so at six weeks, 57% um, of the patients had mild or no itching. That's pretty great. Um, compared to the vehicle, which had 34%, that's the mustard yellow line. Elidil also, I think a lot of us use it to try to extend the time between flares that might require a topical steroid. And so this data shows that it indeed does that. The top bar graph is adults, the bottom bar graph is kids. And so for adults, it extended the time between flares to 119 days. That's a third of a year. That's a season of homeland. That's awesome. That's really good. And in kids, it extended the time between flares to 53 days. Also very good. I think kids do have more frequent flares with their eczema, and so I think that explains the difference between the two. But either way you cut it, really remarkably improved the time between needing a topical steroid. So then they also looked at several randomized controlled studies in adults. So the first, um, the first kind of data set was from the pediatric studies. This data set is from the adult studies. So there were several randomized controlled studies in kind of similar patients, patients with mild to moderate eczema. Um, a lot of them had involvement of the head and neck. Um, and uh, they looked at the same three endpoints. They looked at the um, percent improvement, they looked at the easy score improvement, and they looked at the pruritus improvement. And so just to kind of summarize some of these, um, uh, some of this data. So statistical differences between the Elidil group and the placebo group were seen as early as day eight. And that kind of correlates with the pediatric studies showing remarkable improvement by day seven. Half of the Elidil treated patients achieved a change from baseline in the easy score of at least 60%. That's awesome, versus 18% of the vehicle. So this is a bar graph showing the clearance of head and neck atopic dermatitis over time. So what it's demonstrating is the percentage of patients that were clear or almost clear at 43 weeks into treatment, and that was 47%. 47% of the patients with head and neck atopic dermatitis were clear or almost clear at the end of the study. They also noticed no or mild pruritus in 60% of Elidil patients at day eight, um, at the day eight visit. So again, it works quickly, especially with regards to the itch, to calm down that pruritus. How many guys, how many guys knew that they were keeping track of Elidil patients in a registry, a very large registry? Anybody know that? I didn't know it. I didn't know it until I looked at these slide decks. But this has been going on since November of 2004, so 13 years. Um, it's been the largest, longest, prospective longitudinal study on a dermatological illness. Um, and these results show really no association between malignancy and the topical use of Elidil. There have been zero skin cancers reported from November 2004 to September 2016. 
there have been almost 8,000 pediatric patients enrolled in the registry. And there have been over 36,000 person years follow-up. And um, person years is kind of timing a person by the number of years they were in the registry. So if you were one person and you had been in the registry for eight years, you counted eight times. Um, in adults, this was kind of touched on in an earlier slide, but in adults, we see significant improvement in pruritus as early as day two. You can see that on day two, 56% of patients noticed their first improvement in their itching. That is day two. And then by day seven, 81% of patients noticed improvement in their itching. That's really great, again, because when you're itchy, you want it to stop now. You don't want to see me after I've traveled anywhere where there are mosquitoes. I'm like a mosquito magnet. They love me. And even mosquito bites, they drive me mad. I can't imagine what it would be like to live with eczema all the time and be that itchy all the time. Eladil, as we know, is a cream. And so this slide goes over a questionnaire that was given to 141 patients or caregivers comparing Eladil with tacrolimus 0.03% ointment. And they basically asked them, how does it feel? How does it rub in? And had the families grade the ease of those things. So for suitability for use on sensitive skin, 63% of people rated the treatment as very good or excellent. People liked the ease of rub in with Eladil more so than the tacrolimus ointment. People like the non-sticky feel, they like the spreadability, and the overall ease of application. Um, and, and again, you know, often when it, when it comes to topical steroids in kids, if the child is younger, I'm more likely to do an ointment to reduce the risk of stinging and burning. Um, but with Eladil, I notice personally this kind of paradoxical thing where it tends to be more an adult-related thing where they sting and burn, and usually they do okay with the cream Eladil. And certainly, families prefer that. I had one poor mom the other day that said that the ointment and oil that I gave to treat her kiddo with eczema like stained all her clothes. She had to like throw away everything. I hate to ruin clothing. Um, so Eladil cream has a very well-established tolerability profile. There have been more than 41,000 patients that have been evaluated in the Eladil cream clinical trials. And this kind of goes back to what I tell families. Because of all the black box warning stuff, Eladil is really one of the most extensively studied medicines we have, and that can give us a good sense of comfort. The most commonly reported adverse events with Eladil were application site burning, headache, and then other things like, you know, cough, nasopharyngitis, et cetera. Application site reactions occurred in 5 to 20% of patients. They were mild to moderate, short in duration, and tended to last for less than five minutes. Um, and I think it's, in a way, it's a really good thing that the burning and stinging tends to be more prevalent in the adults because um, adults can deal with that. They can say, okay, this is going to burn and sting for a little bit until I get my rash better, and then it's going to be much better overall. Whereas kiddos, it's harder to discuss that with them. Um, there's been extensive clinical experience and ongoing surveillance, and the safety of Eladil cream has not been established beyond the, beyond the one year of non-continuous use in a study protocol sort of way. So a summary. Eladil cream is an effective second-line treatment option for non-immunocompromised patients with mild to moderate atopic dermatitis aged greater than two years. It significantly improves their symptoms overall and especially in sensitive skin locations like the head and the neck. More pediatric patients had mild or no pruritus in clinical trials compared to the vehicle, and it significantly uh, improved pruritus in adults as early as day two. 
It reduces the incidence of flares when used intermittently at the first sign of atopic dermatitis, and it helps improve the skin barrier function, which was new knowledge for me. It has an established tolerability profile, and it's really been, been well studied for a long period of time. Now, these presentations also require to include the indication and the black box warning and adverse events at the end in case people come in late. Um, and so the official indication, of course, is that it's second-line therapy um, for the use of treatment in uh, atopic dermatitis, people two and older who have failed other treatments or the other treatments are not uh, advisable. And then the black box warning. Um, and uh, again, if you want to hear my spiel on it, uh, you can approach me after. I'll stick around for a little bit. Um, but this is the official black box warning. And again, I think the most important thing is to tell parents upon prescribing the medicine about the black box warning and about your feelings on it, and, um, because otherwise you'll get that phone call later on in the day. Um, and then the other important safety information, so of course you don't want to use it if somebody has a history of hypersensitivity to any of the components. You don't want to use it in immunocompromised people. Um, patients should be reevaluated by six weeks. It should not be used on malignant or pre-malignant skin conditions, and you don't want to use it in somebody with nethertons where they're getting more absorption than they should. Of course, the skin burning um, is one of the local symptoms that can be caused by Elidil. It's most common in the first few days, and then it gets better. Um, always check for bacterial or viral infections in the kiddos and adults that you're treating for eczema, because if they are infected with staph or whatever it might be, they're not going to get better unless you identify and treat that. Um, during the course of treatment, patients should minimize or avoid natural or artificial sunlight exposure, even while the Elidil is not on the skin. And uh, the most common adverse events were the skin uh, burning. And that's it. And in the spirit of Ron Burgundy and Anchorman, stay classy, San Diego. <laughs> And if you guys have any questions for me, feel free to find me. I'll just kind of linger. I know we're done a little early, which is nice. You can go do what you want to do. Uh, but I'll be around if you have any questions. And if you have any questions about Peds Derm, love to answer those too. Thanks, guys. Oh, I'm sorry. Any evidence of probiotic use in atopic dermatitis in children? Do you use it in clinical practice? Yes. Okay. So. Um, it has been proven in studies that probiotic use in kids with eczema really has no impact. But the cool thing is that if there's a woman who's pregnant, and maybe there's extensive family history of atopic dermatitis, and she takes probiotics during the last month of her pregnancy through the first three months after her pregnancy, it actually reduces the risk of eczema in that baby by 25%. So if I'm seeing a kiddo with eczema, and I notice that mom is obviously pregnant, very important that she be obviously pregnant, I will speak up and say, hey, you know, you could reduce eczema in baby number two by doing this. Oh, quickly repeat my black box, thank you. Um, so what I say is that I say that Elidil came out about 15 years ago, and it is similar um, biochemically to an oral medication that transplant patients take to suppress their immune systems. So because of those similarities, the FDA was worried that the cream might have the same side effects as the pill, and they put a black box warning on it. Since then, we've done numerous studies showing that those side effects are not an issue with the cream, but the black box warning still remains. I, I point out the fact that because of the black box concerns, Elidil is one of the most extensively studied medications that we use, and that they can feel safe with that. I also will say sometimes, 
I'm not telling you this because it concerns me. I'm telling you this because you're going to read about it, and I'd rather it come from me and not the package insert. And how do you treat kiddos under two with eczema? So under two with eczema, you're really kind of um, stuck, for lack of a better word, with topical steroids. Um, because Eladil, Protopic, Eucrisa, all of them are officially approved for two and older. Um, and so you're really left with your typical topical steroid choices. Uh, what to use as first-line therapy for atopic dermatitis? Topical steroids. Um, you know, Colorado is becoming more and more granola if you will, and um, I sometimes get some negative uh, pushback about the topical steroids, but especially in the young ones, and just in general, topical steroids are still a mainstay in treatment of atopic dermatitis. Even though Eladil is great, it's not like you could manage a kiddo with just Eladil. Um, even all the studies are just trying to show that it reduces the flares that require topical steroids. It's not eliminating them at all. Um, and so uh, I think topical steroids continue to be a mainstay in treatment, and um, I have a long discussion with the parents who are worried about that, about the safety of them, um, and all of that kind of stuff. Why does LLTL have to be limited to short-term therapy if they're not in long-term? So um, that is just because that is what's in the indication. The official indication from the FDA is for short-term therapy, um, and it's probably because there haven't been any formal studies having people, you know, use it for a long, long time. There's the registry, but they're not, you know, the only thing they're kind of looking at with the registry is malignancy, so. And ever use it as maintenance treatment? Absolutely, I love to use Eladil that way. So let's say you're seeing a kiddo and they have kind of mild to moderate eczema and it can get pretty bad, but it's always here or behind the knees. It's just always in those places. I will use topical steroids to calm it down, and then I will have them use Eladil to prevent it from recurring, um, potentially as fast as it might otherwise. Um, so I will frequently use it that way, yes. Okay, great, and again, I'll be around. Okay, thanks guys. This has been a production of Dermcast TV, brought to you by the Society of Dermatology PAs, recorded live during our summer 2017 meeting in San Diego, California.